great. Sensational. Terrific. What is it? I told you. Cyberology. Are you with me? Not exactly with you, but somewhere nearby. Oh. This is Cybercrimeology, a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. My name is Michael, and welcome to 2024. It's another exciting year full of promise. One of the things that people like to do at the start of a new year is to reflect on the past and come up with some resolutions for how they're going to be better. Whether or not you are interested in doing that, I have one for you anyway. Be a little bit more deliberate and do a little better at presenting your ideas and your research. Perhaps you'll have to present at a conference, a team meeting, for a course, or some other kind of event. But whatever it is, we could all always be a little bit better at presenting. Getting better at presenting might just be a matter of making a little adjustment in your process of preparation. For me, that adjustment happened after I had the opportunity to talk about preparing for a presentation with the head of an international organization. This person presented every day, at least once a day, and they always seemed to do a great job of it. So I asked them how they were able to prepare for a presentation every day, and they told me that they make sure they know their material back to front and inside out, they think about the key points for the audience, and then they jot down just those points onto a single piece of paper, and away they go. This changed a lot for me. I used to start preparing a presentation at a keyboard. Now I grab a piece of paper instead. My method is not the same as that that I saw and heard about from that person. It's modified to suit me, and it'll continue to change over time. But hearing about how someone with more experience than me prepares for a presentation was very important as it provided me with tools to start examining my process. So this episode, I'd like to share that kind of experience with you. We will listen to the approaches of a number of experienced presenters from the world of cybercrime research, and hopefully you'll hear something that will help you with your process. So we'll welcome to this episode, Dr. Benoit Dupont from the University of Montreal, Dr. Rutger Lugfeld from Leiden University, Dr. Lennon Chan from Deakin University in Australia, Dr. Katlin Partee from Virginia Tech, Dr. Russell Brewer from the University of Adelaide, together with Dr. Bryce Westlake from San Jose University, and Dr. Stephen Kemp from the University of Girona. My idea here is by hearing each of these presenters in turn discuss what it is they do to feel prepared for a presentation, and maybe some of the experiences they've had that led them to make changes, you might find something instrumental in helping you adjust your process. So let's start with Dr. Lennon Chang. What do you do to feel ready for a presentation? How do you prepare? I'll just say this is an interesting question and I'm changing myself from what we call ready to present to not ready to present. When I'm doing my presentation, I'll be very familiar with what I'm going to talk about. Usually we'll present on the research we're doing. So once I make my PowerPoint ready, I already have the the points in my mind. The PowerPoint is just to remind me what I'm going to talk about. In old days, what I would do is I'll print out my PowerPoint and go through the dot points and write down what I just mentioned, the key points I want to say, just to remind me. But now I got more and more conversations and presentations, especially panel discussions. I am less confident doing the way I used to do especially when you have very short notice and you have a lot of things to do. I would try to get myself really ready in the lens and have the notes with me. So if I don't feel comfortable talking without notes, at least I can read the notes. 
That is what I'm doing now. But most of the time, when I'm reading notes, I'll, I'll, I'll draw the line out to other things that's not in the notes. So a lot of chance that would go over time if I, if I'm reading the notes. But if it is a suggestion to students, I would say get very familiar, very focused on on the topic you're presenting, something from your own work, and then just mark down a few points. Make sure you won't miss them. And for the rest, you just need to do a couple uh, rehearsals before you stand up and talk. This is especially important for people who are non-English native speakers like me. Sometimes it's not that you don't know what to say. It's more about, okay, I have this idea, but how can I say that in English? Is there anything that you take with you when you go up to a stage to present? Yeah, in, in the past, I, I always bring out my PowerPoints. And now I usually have my, the whole script, especially for keynote speech. Have you ever had a presentation or experience with a presentation where things either went so well or so badly that you changed the way that you did things afterwards? Not really, no. I'm sort of thinking to change my habit of reading notes now. I come from the stage that I don't really enjoy people reading notes. So I, I do the presentation, more engagement with the audience. To now, because I have too many presentations to do at the same time, and some of the topic might not really based on my research. So I need to study in the lens before I talk, and I need to have all those things in, in my notes so that I can make sure that my information are correct. But now I'm sort of thinking that I, I should move back a little bit to what I used to do. Maybe I still have the notes, but try not to read the notes. Just speak. It's sometimes quite difficult for some people. It needs a lot of practice, especially for students. So my best suggestion is to do two, three times rehearsal and also time myself to make sure that I'm not running over time. Next, it's Dr. Catelyn Party. You're talking about the period right before you're getting into the room and you're ready to present. So I did dancing for years and dancing is a good way of practicing the connection of the hemispheres of your brain. So that helps a lot. It's also distracting enough so you don't concentrate uh, with uh, all your brain cells to the stress of the presentation. The other thing is eating something because according to neurobiology, and brain science, if you eat something that sends a message to your brain that, hey, you're not in danger here, you can eat, you can even digest what you're eating. So I tend to encourage my students to either chew gum or to chew on a little snack before a presentation. And I'm doing presentations with them. So I'm making them present little lectures, not more than five or six minutes. But at the end of their presentation, they have to present their critical findings. So not just what other people found in this area, but also I want them to, to ask questions, discussion questions from the, from the class that reflects their critical thinking. So I have different techniques to prepare for an immediate presentation. Of course, I cannot do dancing all the time, but physical activity really helps. So for example, if I'm going to a conference, I'm always running in the morning and that, that helps to collect my ideas in a non-stressful way. Answering this question together is Dr. Russell Brewer and Dr. Bryce Westlake. I stretch. 
quite honestly, is is you sit there. Uh, if it's a big one, it's it's getting the arms up and over like that, and bending over it and doing some stretching. Because one of the things that happens a lot of time with presenting is people end up being very stiff and rigid and glued to a computer or hiding behind something. And so if you if you get the body moving and and just stretch out so that your body is feeling a little bit loose and less stiff. It helps with having that flow in there. And then when I present, I'm very, very rarely glued to where the podium is or whatever. I'm usually walking around at at Mm. least in front of the podium. And then I think one of the things when talking to people about presenting is their energy and then having a story right? Presenting is about having a story and and engaging with people. And so what you have on the slides doesn't matter that much. It's about the story that you're telling, making that connection. And so sometimes that means adapting on the fly. Uh, I can talk about teaching is is usually it's taking in what people are saying or things that are occurring. I mean, a bunch of the things that Russell and I just talked about now, if you'd interviewed us 24 hours ago, I wouldn't actually have a lot of those things because we met yesterday with law enforcement and I could see Russell doing it too. We pulled specifically from that meeting examples and like the one about the the class that was a hundred percent from the meeting yesterday. So it's pulling in those different things and creating that story and creating something that can be attached that has the the human element to it. I'm very similar as well. I think fluidity is quite important. I have really worked very hard over the past decade of presenting to not be a slave to content, to not worry about how much information you can shove on a slide or trying to present every single result because frankly, people in the audience don't really care. You've got 10 to 15 minutes usually to deliver a story. And so for me, when I'm preparing for a presentation, obviously if somebody asks me about a particular table, I want to be able to explain it. But when I'm thinking about what goes on a slide and how I'm delivering around a slide that I think about, well, what is the key point that links back to the story? And I want to make sure that I touch on and emphasize that key point and then move on and keep any presentation that we give short, simple, informative, and also, frankly, leave the audience wanting more. You can't do everything, explain everything. And if you try to, you will run out of time and it will not be as impactful. I know in a lot of the stuff that we do, we try and keep things really impactful and hopefully generate interest and discussion in what it is we're doing and try to get people excited about our research. Is there anything or things that you take with you? I will often write things down on a piece of paper and then rarely look at them. Then I'll walk into a room, get bothered that there isn't an actual lectern there that I can rest my stuff on and see because I'm tall. And I put it on the table and I just stand up and I walk around and speak with my hands. I do nothing. It's not meant as bragging or anything, but my master's and PhD defense, my PhD defense specifically, I made up as I went along. Like the night before, I didn't have my presentation put together. I was just like, I'll just. Sometimes you have stuff written down on PowerPoint slides. Oh, on slides, yeah. Presenting online. Yeah, it's nice to have some of those notes just because I know that we'll recycle them in future years. But yeah, then they never get used. Because it, it's just too hard to follow that, right? And if you're trying to memorize things. But when I'm teaching, if it's a class that I've already taught, 
So like I'll be teaching statistics in January. I will have not seen the slide that I will present that day until the year prior when I taught it last spring. I'll usually flick. I will review slides. I want to make sure the slides tell the story. So if I ever go off on a tangent, the slide can center me and the information on the slide will just draw me back to the story and the point that I need to make. I usually like to know what's coming next. And that's basically all I have space in my brain to do is memorize, okay, this slide then goes to this slide, then goes to this slide. And that's why I try and keep them each, you know, point per slide kind of thing around the story and try and keep things on track that way. But beyond that, there just isn't space in the brain. And if I can't remember it, my audience isn't going to remember it or care. So I've very much tried to, to pull back how much I try and deliver. I think it's important to know your audience too, because when you asked the question, I was kind of thinking, I was like, well, are you talking about when I lecture to an undergrad class or a grad class? Are you talking about at an academic conference? Are you talking about when we're talking to law enforcement? It, the, the audience makes a huge, huge difference as to how that lecture goes. Right. So my stats class, it's conveying statistical methods and going through those examples. When you're talking to law enforcement, it's connecting them in and telling them how it, it can work to improve their workflow. So each one is very different. Have you ever had a presentation or experience presenting that either went so well or so badly that it changed how you prepared after that? Oh, I mean, I've had presentations that have gone way over time and if I've had any absolute train wrecks. But over time, you know, you know which ones work. And when you walk out of a presentation thinking I nailed it, usually those for me are the ones that are shorter and simpler. And yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I think they just improved over time with experience and knowing how much to present. I think I've gotten more out of watching other presentations and, and doing those. Uh, I remember one that's that stuck with me where I was watching and it was like a 15 minute presentation and we were 10 minutes in and the person was still on their kind of introduction in literature. And, and then all of a sudden they went, oh, well, I only have two minutes left. And then boom, 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 through the results and discussion. And I said, I didn't care about that first 10 minutes. I said, you glossed over so quickly the only part of your presentation that I cared about. Like, I, I don't care about your lit. So it was just a complete waste. And so it's it's something that I've emphasized now, really, really condensing down that front end and background and just getting to the the meat and potatoes of things and, and making sure that's there. Yeah. And then I've I've tried to to create notes as Russell said but I've actually found that when I create notes I do worse because I'm like oh this is how it's supposed to go and there's this and usually after the first two or three slides I just go screw it I'm just discarding everything I I had written out to say and I'm just going off the top of my my head and what's on the slide because if I try to to keep to some sort of script in some way it's really bad we'll hear now from Dr Stephen Kemp so a lot of preparation, I would say, and, and quite methodical. So I would kind of start off with a general outline of the things I want to talk about, the four or five or six, whatever the main ideas I want, I want to talk about, and also some objectives. So when I do presentations, I, I, I quite like to answer 
maybe three or four questions, like structure the presentation or around questions. So I might start with the, the four questions that I want to discuss and then develop the answers from there. I really don't enjoy speaking in public. I never had any training on speaking in public. So I remember at university, it was very, very hard for me to speak in public. And I realized, okay, you're not a natural at this, but you have to do it. So you have to prepare. Some people are great and they can just stand up and they can speak and it all comes out really smoothly. But if that's not you, then you have to prepare. Start with small chunks that are easy to remember. So then whatever happens, you're going to say your four main ideas. You might get lost a little bit in the middle, but your four ideas are going to be there and rehearse if you have time, which is sometimes complicated. But if I have an important presentation, uh, a PhD defense or something really important, then I'll rehearse it a lot. But I also film myself and watch myself back and look at all those ticks and the way that the head's moving. Why is your head moving like that? Okay. And then once I've watched it back, then I, I write little messages to myself in my presentation. So breathe, look up, keep your head still. I put little messages to myself as well. Like once I know the typical, ticks that might come out in my presentations, I would start with a piece of paper, but I would finish with something typed. I would start with a piece of paper and write down the four ideas and then finish with something typed normally. When I expand the ideas, then I would generally type it out. I mean, if it's a very important presentation, like for uh, a job interview or something like that, where you have to present a piece of research during a job selection process, and I would write out word for word what I'm going to say. I wouldn't remember every word, obviously, because that would be very hard, but I would get really, really detailed. Dr. Benoit Dupont. So, well, I, there are a number of things I do. I, I know of people who have the ritual of drinking uh, a couple of gulps of scotch just before and have a, a Xanax at the same time or something like that. It's not, not my case. Uh, I don't have a ritual. There are a few things I do. I, first, I try to understand the audience. Sometimes I present in front of industry or government people. Sometimes it's an academic audience. Sometimes the academic audience is made up of peers, so other researchers and professors. And sometimes it's a academic audience, but more of students. So they're, they're different and they are expecting or they are ready to hear different things. And so I'm trying to understand not their needs, but their expectations. And I'm trying to kind of put myself in their shoes. What would I like to hear about. So if it's a group of police managers or government policymakers, they are probably not interested in the nitty-gritty of my methodology and the sampling, and they're more interested in the policy recommendations or some kind of nugget from the research that can actually help them understand their environment. So, so first, understanding the audience and their expectations. And then second, I've been in doing this for a bit more than 20 years and and at first i wanted to present it all to them i wanted to show that i had the most comprehensive view of the problem and i had done my homework and and now i'm more trying to build a story because i think people react more to uh, the storytelling format that's what we've done as as a species since we've arrived on this earth tell stories to each other. I mean, the book from uh, Yuval Harari was kind of an eye-opening encounter in terms of what differentiates us is the power of telling stories to each other so we can communicate norms, knowledge, transfer insights that actually 
enabled us to evolve. So telling a story that people will listen and take back home and integrate into their own pool of knowledge is what I'm trying to do. So I'm trying to keep it very simple. You know, um, what is the single idea I want people to grasp when I'm presenting? And very often I'm cutting and cutting all I think is marginal to the story I want to tell even though I think it's quite interesting. <laughs> but knowing the audience, I know that it's interesting to me, not necessarily interesting to them. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to do, to build a story, to simplify what, what I'm trying to convey as an idea, because it's much easier to remember one powerful idea from a presentation if it was the only one that was then unpacked than to try to understand 12 ideas that were presented, which one is the important one in this presentation. So I'll, I'll try to do that. I'll try to build the content around that. And once I've got the content, I'll very often try to rehearse my presentation a couple of times. And I've found that two or three times is enough. Because if you do it too often, then you become too rigid in the way you present and it's becoming mechanical. So, so I'm trying to do it a couple of times just to see how the flow works. So can I tell the story? Can I present my slides in a flow that makes it sound more like a natural conversation than a formal presentation where I shift from one slide to another. I go through the process and I make sure I discuss every single point on the slide. It's more like, can I talk about it as a free-flowing conversation? And once I've done a couple of times, I found that usually I'm familiar with the slides. If I use a slide support or I'm familiar with the points I want to talk about, and then I feel confident enough that even if I miss a number of points, I'll be able to maintain the flow. I'll be able to stop at, at any slide and go right to the end with a powerful idea I want people to take home if I'm interrupted for any reason. So it gives me the confidence to stand up on the stage and to say, okay, well, uh, this is what I want to talk about. And it, it happened to me early in my career. Uh, a couple of times, slides never worked or my notes fell on the ground and I forgot to number the pages. So I couldn't rely on my notes. And then I guess it kind of forced me to be prepared to confront those eventualities. So now this is what I do. Three things. Understand the audience, try to build a story, and try to make sure that I can deliver the story in a free-flowing manner that will not get people to sleep, but will be more like a conversation with their friends or something that they are more familiar and relaxed about. And then we can probably often have, following that, a conversation that they are comfortable having by asking questions, by confronting some ideas I shared with them because they don't agree. And so it sets the stage for something that's more informal and I think, in the end, more useful for everyone. Do you take anything with you when you go up? To, to present? No, I don't take anything with me. And I try, uh, something I do also, I forgot to mention, but I try to identify a couple of people in the audience who seem to be more receptive than the rest of the group. And I try to force myself, once I've identified this person or this couple of people, to maintain eye contact with them most of the time. Because it helps me actually probably connect with the room and the audience a bit better. But also I can gauge when they seem to be losing interest or their attention seems to be decreasing a little bit. Because if those people who seem to be the most engaged in my presentation are losing interest, 
it means that it's even worse for the rest of the audience. So I, I need to move on. I need to do something to kind of bring the pace up or I need to shorten my presentation. I need to move to something else. I, I mean, I need to do something. So it's a way for me to constantly calibrate what I'm doing, uh, but also to connect uh, with the room. And finally, it's Dr. Rutger Lugfeld. First, the audience. So what is the audience? You either present for fellow scholars, so then you don't have to explain the theories, or you present for police or for others. I just came back from Denmark, where I presented for about 100, 150 people that work for all sorts of organizations that are involved in uh, preventing crime, but they're police officers. There are people that work for NGOs. So that's a completely different message that you want to give them compared to fellow scholars. I'm not talking about methods there. I'm not talking about, see my little table here with all of those interests, and this is significant, and this is not. No, they don't care. They don't understand. It will distract them. So thinking about the audience is number one for me. If I get asked to give a presentation, I say, okay, who do you expect? What do they know about cybercrime? Do I need to explain it? And what, what is their background? Because if you don't know that, it's very hard to give a good presentation because you want to have a, a message in the end that, that really resonates within that group. So that's the main thing that I really want to have clear with the group that I'm presenting for. The second one is I think about what is the take-home message? What do I want those people to remember? Uh, and it, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you talk for five minutes, sometimes for an hour, sometimes for two hours, but you want them to remember something. So what I always do is I have a discussion with, with the person that asked me to present. Sometimes it's very clear because it's on an academic thing and you know I'm going to present this study. But in other ways, like last week, I got asked to say something about pathways into cybercrime, to say something about victimization or whatever. I always try to understand why are these people there? Why are they there? And what do I want them to remember? Of course, I got slide decks about different topics. But what I do is I start my presentation with the result, with the one thing or the two things that I want them to remember. Because in that way, they can fall asleep after the first slide and after the, the first two minutes, and then they wake up in the end and you say it again. And everything in between doesn't matter. It's just you fill up because you want them to learn something. And if, and if they like it, read my paper. If you want to do research with me, contact me. You have to have that one or two key things that people really need to remember. And you need to be like an advertisement bureau and say it, say it, say it, but start with it and end with it. So those are the two things that I really always think about when I make something. What do you put on the first slide and therefore also on the last slide? Do you take anything with you when you go up? to present no no i don't I, I don't write anything down i don't have any rituals but my thing is that if i can i only use pictures in my powerpoints because what i hate when i'm in the room myself is people reading their powerpoint slides to me because they're distracting i can read them myself you don't want people to read actually you want them to listen to you so i try to have only pictures it doesn't always work because sometimes you want to show them the graph or sometimes you do want to show them one table or like three bullet points but i would say that 90 to 95 percent of my slides are pictures and that gives me the opportunity to be flexible that gives me the opportunity to tell them a story i hate the, the frame of storytelling but you have to have a story i i highly believe that so you have to think about what's the point i'm making 
And what's the story that I'm telling? And you start with the background, you go in the middle and to the end. And if you use the pictures, it's a great way because you're not looking at your own slides. It's a great way because every picture should be the core of that part of your presentation. People should immediately understand it, right? If I tell something about the crime rates, I always have a picture of my bike because in the Netherlands, the number one crime is bicycle theft. And then I will tell them about how it relates to hacking, blah, blah, blah. But I always have that same picture. And I got a number of these pictures for different topics because I think that really helps them to focus on you when you're talking. And again, you know, just think about what are the key elements that I want them to learn and just repeat it because that's the only way you get the message across. And of course, it, it, it's a difference if you talk to academics versus non-academics. You can be a little bit more in-depth, but still, an academic is also triggered by you saying in the beginning, this is what we've seen, this is what we found. And then you think, ah, now I'm, I'm intrigued, now I want to listen. Or you say, it's, it's not my topic. But you don't want the audience to have to work for understanding what you want to say. So sometimes people... Begin with an introduction, then they move on to the research questions, go to some methods for a very long time, and then have some results, and then come to the conclusions because you might be lost. Intrigue them first, make sure that they're triggered, and the ones that don't care, it doesn't matter because you're not for them. You're here for the other ones that, that do care. So I think that's that's something that I always try, and, and it helps me also in making sure that the people understand why I'm there because they don't always know because they're invited or they're there because the session was cool or whatever. So that really helps them to say, okay, this guy is telling me something about this. It's interesting or not. Does a presentation come to mind that was either went really well or went really disastrously that changed how you do presentations? I started out giving presentations like everybody else, like with, with a lot of text on my slides. And then I, I one time had to give a talk and I had to take over from somebody else. So all of the information on the slides, I knew the main stuff, but not everything. So that's why I started using some pictures instead of all of the detailed information on the slide. And I noticed, hey, this really works. This is interesting. This really works. And that must have been, I don't know, a decade ago or something like that. But that was the moment I realized this is interesting. And then another moment, because then you, of course... You start doing it and it becomes normal. I remember being at, an, at a conference in the US and it was also like maybe 10% academics and 90% people from police and from all sorts of commercial companies and stuff like that. And it was me and some other scholars. I was first, I gave my talk with a lot of pictures and then the person right after me, he began giving a, a talk like he was giving a class. Like, you know, this is the, the research question and this is why the research question is phrased right. And this is my method. And then in the results, you even began to explain, well, it's important because here you see this statistical thingy and it means actually that blah, blah, blah. And you could see all of the audience thinking, whoa, what is this guy talking about? And they, they were lost. So that was for me a point in time where I'm thinking, Okay, this is when I talk to an audience that's non-academic, I'm going to skip all of those things that are relevant for academics or students because nobody else cares. And that was a real eye-opener for me to, to continue it and to even make it like the standard. A warm thank you to all of our guests. I hope 
that you as a listener have had the opportunity to reflect on your process and might make some changes for the better. Myself, I think I'll be trying to better understand the audience so I can deliver them a story with a simpler message and perhaps put a little bit more effort into rehearsal. If you happen to see me present this year, you can let me know if I manage that. In the meantime, though, this has been Cybercrimology, a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. It's produced by me. It's only really made possible by the kind guests who share their time and their research. Find out more about the show at cybercrimology.com, find me on LinkedIn, or send me an email at cybercrimology at gmail.com.